0: This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Steward Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. John chapter 1, verse 19. And it's, you follow along as... I read the word of God. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, well, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. Verse 19, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask Him, Who are You? So, who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist. That's, that's like a, that is a biblical name, isn't it? Now, I've grown up in Baptist churches, and this week as I was studying John the Baptist, I, I, I just kind of wondered John the Baptist. How do Methodists and Presbyterians talk about John the Baptist? John the Sprinkler. It just doesn't have the same kind of ring to it. So, I, I like that we have John the Baptist. So if you'll look in Luke, uh, you don't have to flip there. If you want to, you can, but Luke chapter 1 goes into kind of a detail about John, chapter 1 and chapter 3. And we find out that John was actually a preacher's kid. He was a preacher kid. My wife's a preacher's kid, so she appreciates that. But his dad was Zachariah. He was a priest in the temple. His mom was Mary, or his mom was Elizabeth, a cousin of Mary. We're we're assuming she was a cousin. The Bible says they were relatives. So John was a few months older than uh, Jesus, which is interesting because in this text, he says, well, Jesus came before me. And he's speaking there of the eternality of Christ. Now, that's not a a George W. Bush word that I made up. That's actually a theological term that Jesus was before me Eternally, because Jesus is the Son of God and God had no beginning. You know, it never has it ever occurred to you? Nothing has ever occurred to God. So, Jesus was before John in eternity, but as on this earth and as an infant, John was probably about three months older than Jesus. Now, Luke chapter 3 says that John was a guy walking around in the desert. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, And he went into the region around Jordan proclaiming and baptizing a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, basically, John, you have a guy walking around the desert telling people, hey, the Messiah's come. You need to to prepare your, your heart so you no longer have to go to the temple with a spotless white lamb to be forgiven of your sins to God, because the Messiahs come. So you got a guy walking around the wilderness saying that. Now, that's not hard to figure out why John was uh, kind of weird. Now people like that wind up in Moccasin Ben. You know people, uh, people like that are kind of shunned from society. Uh, he had the appearance, and he was kind of dressed as a wild man, acted kind of crazy, and a message that was so out of the ordinary, so odd. But it was odd and it attracted people because of the work and the Spirit of God. So he says that you know there's one coming that is here, forgive your sins, so you don't have to go before the temple priest. Has it ever occurred to you as you read the Word of God that God uses, and this is more your blanks, unconventional methods? to do His work. God uses things out of the ordinary. And I'm glad because I'm not an ordinary guy. But He uses unconventional methods. Methods that the world would say, that's just not going to work. God says, it'll work for me. I'll make it work. I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul. So, we know Paul as Paul, but... His first name was Saul. Right. And he was a religious leader in the Jews. And what a thought if this guy, who when the deacon Stephen was stoned, you know what they did? What did the guys that stoned him do? They went to Saul. Saul may have even given the order for Stephen's death. And he went around killing Christians. What a great... Think about that. What a great... Those first century Christians were thinking, if we could get this guy converted, what an amazing conversion and work of God. I mean, he could work there with the Pharisees and and, and the the influence that he would have. God, God would have none of that. God converted him, took away his health, took away his wealth, took his name, took his prestige, and there God's looking at this, what remains of a beat up man who's blind. He says, now I can use him. Now I can use that broken clay. God had to break that clay and remold it. He didn't need Saul's prestige. He didn't need his wealth. He didn't need his status. God just needed God. So he broke him. So you got John out there. It's an unconventional method. You got John out in the wilderness. Think about that. Why would he be out in the wilderness trying to, trying to get a crown? Now, son, you ever watch the old, the old detective show? There's, I've got law enforcement. You know, I work in law enforcement. I like old detective shows. You ever seen the old show Columbo? You know, and Columbo, he's got that brown trench coat and he kind of walks around and he says, you know, I just don't understand that. Well, sometimes I, I'm that way. I kind of walk around and I say, God, I really don't get what you're doing. Are you sure you, you're up to this? You've got what you're doing? Now, that doesn't make sense. So it's not my job really to... Make sense of God. It's just my job to follow God's calling, right? That's that's what we're to do. Sometimes I just kind of scratch my head though and think I just don't, I don't see why God would do something like that. I don't see why God would take a young man's life. I don't see why life would end so soon. I don't see why the roof would leak. I don't see why bills would come in, you know. But God, God sees. God has His plan. Sometimes I don't see the ending of it. I just need to be glad I'm a part of it. Those moments, those moments are times when our spiritual senses need to be on full alert because God's working not only in us, God's going to work through us. Verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This statement's important today because uh, if you read any commentaries or you see TV, some of these uh, historical uh, shows there, they they try to point out that Jesus was really a follower of John the Baptist and that John the Baptist's ministry was first and it was the largest. For some reason it wasn't written about, but uh, really Jesus wasn't the Son of God, but just a follower of John the Baptist. And it is true that some of John the Baptist's followers did leave John the Baptist at the end of his ministry and go to Jesus. We saw that in the Word of God. But how can you get over the Scripture where John says, I am not the Christ? John emphasizes Jesus and emphasizes his ministry is pointing to Jesus after he's getting these crowds. Now, how against culture is that? Because what's, what's our culture teach? Our culture teaches if you're doing a great work, look at what you've done. I mean, you, you've, you've accomplished something and you play it up. John didn't do that. John was getting crowds out in the wilderness where no one would get crowds. And he was saying, it's not because of me, it's because of the one that comes after me. It's because of Jesus. His ministry was pointing to Jesus. I am not the Christ. What an opposite of our culture today. Verse 21, and they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And said, they said to him, Well, then, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? The religious crowd they were really perplexed about about john he, he wasn 't telling the audience about himself he wasn 't lifting himself up. he was lifting up jesus i mean he't He built this big crowd, and he didn 't have a new uh, bestseller book, Living the Desert Life and Enjoying it by John the Baptist <laughs> You'd have to have a follow-up, the desert diet. (laughs) He didn't have any of that. You know, he was just preaching, he was just preaching, telling people, hey, listen, the Messiah's come. You need to prepare your hearts. You need to prepare yourself for the kingdom of God. He understood that his service in the kingdom of God was that of a glorified usher. He was a glorified usher. Now, Think about an usher like that here at Stewart Heights Baptist. So you got Mr. Charles, you got Jim here, you know everybody everybody loves. And then you got John the Baptist handing out some, you know, he's got a man wearing a fur coat. He's not shaved, he's got shaggy hair, and he's handing out bulletins to somebody probably not ushering 101 right there, but old John the Baptist, he was a glorified usher. Pointing people the direction they needed it to go. John's message and methods were so counterintuitive to today's social-driven media, right? Our, our social media is, is everywhere. And I, Hey, listen, I'm a Twitter guy, so I, I know about social media, but, but it is a culture of what do I think, what do I want, what do I like. It's driven that way, right? Google, hey, listen, you search for Google, you do a Google search, and then log on to your Facebook right? And then get on Twitter. Get on another site. What are all those banner ads right there? All of a sudden it's something that you've searched for, isn't it? Because our marketing, our media, our sales are all geared to what you want. What are you, what are you thinking about at the moment? Verse 23, John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So where did Isaiah say that? If you could turn your Bibles to Isaiah 40, we won't flip around the Word of God too much, but Isaiah 40, I want you to see this. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3 through 5. We see Isaiah wrote this. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low and the uneven ground shall be level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, we see God's plan as counterintuitive of mainstream thinking. If you want to reach a crowd, you go into the city. You don't go out into the desert. You don't go send somebody preaching out in the wilderness. You ever think you're speaking out in the wilderness like no one's paying attention to you? So I'm the dad of a three-year-old. I know what that's like. So I can, I can look at my little sweet angel and say, now Emma, don't do that. And she just gives me this blank stare as I watch her do it anyways. <laughs> that's Wilderness Training 101 right there. The uh, 202 levels, by the way, that's the preteen years. And if you want Wilderness Training graduate level, that's the four years of high school right there. After you've completed that, you're trained for Wilderness. So John's out there speaking out in the wilderness getting getting crowds and not going into the city but the people are coming to him to hear the word of God. So so we see that John is a voice there that day and what's the voice in the wilderness today? Who's out in the wilderness proclaiming a word now? The church. The church. The media and culture has branded the church, and it's it's not a good brand. You know, a century and two centuries ago, and even if you study church history, the church that was the place that you went for education, that was the place that you went for uh, for charity, that was the place that you went for the center of community. The church. We think we're branded that way here in America. I mean, we're, we're made to look like idiots because we don't believe that Grandpa was an ape. We are, we are um, kind of like William Buckley. I think I put this in your notes. William Buckley's great conservative writer, passed away. He was a very devout Catholic, but he was um, founder of the National Review. And um, he went to Yale. He, he was a person of, of wealth went to Yale and discovered that his professors at Yale were atheist and secularist. So he wrote a book, God and Man at Yale, and that kind of started, that book really took the country by storm. That book and Barry Goldwater's book, The Conscious of a Conservative, started the uh, modern conservative movement. Barry Goldwater said this, uh, I'm sorry, uh, William Buckley said this, a conservative is someone who stands athwart history, athwart, I mean, who uses that word, right? That's a yell guy right there. <laughs> a conservative is someone who stands athwart history yelling, stop. Now the church is ridiculed for yelling stop to an increasingly perverted culture. A few years ago, I don't watch the award shows, but a few years ago, I saw some of the Emmys. And you know what the message was when everybody was getting up accepting their their award? Same-sex marriage. That was the message. We need more rights, more equality, same-sex marriage. So I watched about ten minutes of it this year. You know what it was? We still have a long way to go in transgender relations. transgender equality the culture increases it always is taking and it's never in the direction the word of God wishes for it to be the word of God proclaims so the church the church is rejected for standing in front of them yelling stop now I want you to understand something this is very important religion is not rejected in America We just had a guy dressed in white robes come around here with a little beanie hat, and he he got a lot of attention. Okay, he got a lot of attention, and I saw I saw people on CNN journalists whom I know couldn't find Genesis from Revelation. They were shaking and trembling at the presence of this guy. So religion's not rejected; truth is rejected. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. There's a lot of religion. There's only one truth. If you proclaim an inclusive religion that gives a blank check to people, you'll be accepted. And that's an easy message. We're okay with that. But when you apply the Word of God onto culture or someone's life, you experience a cultural pushback give you just one brief example of that with the pope so everybody was singing the pope's praises he leaves and it comes out that he shook hands with that clerk in kentucky and you thought people's hopes their dreams their love for this man you saw it on tv just just crumbled by just the mere presence that he shook her hand Religion's not rejected, but truth is. So this morning, if you feel like you're a voice sometimes out in the wilderness, know that you are. Know that you're not alone. Know that that is where God has placed His church. We are the voice that yells to people, Stop. Prepare your hearts. Verse 24. Now they had, sent from, they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked Him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So Detective Columbo comes back out, you know, and these religious leaders are scratching their heads. Uh, John, I don't understand this. You're, you're not making much sense here, John. So... You don't have the best-selling book and you don't have the 5,000-seat the sanctuary out here, so why exactly, what authority do you have to tell people to do these things? John said this, verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal is a beautiful verse, one of the most beautiful verses in scripture, right here. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. That foot would one day hang on a cross. The sandal of who I'm not worthy un- to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. To the observer, Jesus was just another person. To the religious crowd, another religious leader. But to John, to John, Jesus was heaven's holy royalty. John the Baptist was proclaiming to the crowds a message of change and prepare yourself, the Messiah is coming. You need to get your heart ready to receive this, this holy holy gift. That's a message that I need to hear. It's a message we need to hear today. Daily, I need to prepare my heart to receive guidance from God. Now, I'm not talking there about just salvation, okay? I don't like that term where He's saved again. You can't be saved again. Once you've been saved, you're always saved. And it's not of works that you've done that man can boast, but it's the finished work of Christ. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, if... You want some good reading. My favorite reading, Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. So this week, you ought to read those verses if you pay special attention to the wording. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 through 14. In him, in Jesus, you also, Paul's writing this now to the church, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're not talking, I'm not talking about just renewing our minds here in salvation sense. I'm talking about in the spiritual sense that we need to be attuned to God's calling. We prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God. God, you know, you, God, you are the Creator, and I am the creation. And, And what a privilege it is that I can be used in some small part, some small part of your activity. John's message was calling people to change, but it was... It was not a message of loss. And that's how the American church is branded. We're branded as a people of do's and don'ts. Um, that's how people perceive us. But everything, that void that is, that is brought on by salvation, that void will be filled until, until your cup is so running over and you are submersed in the blessings and love of God that you, you realize I've not lost every anything. I've gained everything. John, uh, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, what a great, what a great language right here. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. When John looked up and saw Jesus, he saw the Son of God, he saw the Redeemer the one that takes away the sins of the world. Now my question to you is when you look up and see Jesus, who do you see? Who do you see? Uh, Stephen Prothero. Now Stephen Prothero is not an evangelical Christian. But he is a writer on culture. Very good writer on culture. And he wrote a book called American Jesus. And he says that we often see perfected images of what we ourselves wish we were in Jesus. We have morphed Jesus into various images that suited our purposes. Basically, we make Jesus mirror perfect images of us instead of mirroring mirroring the humble and holy image of Jesus. Now, Jesus came to take away our sins, So, George's summation here, this is my putting that into my terms. We do not need a Jesus that looks like us. We need a life that looks like His. What an awesome thought to know that He came to take away my sins. Why would I want Jesus to look anything like me? And what an awesome thought to know that my sins, my great sins, were not too great for him. I mean, to think that the Lamb of God, behold, I mean, like John out there in the wilderness, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away George's sin, it's come to take away your sin. Did you know there's never a sin too great to be forgiven by God? Now, I want to tell you, I know people struggle with that. What they might have done in the past. And a lot of people, you'll be surprised, so many people here even in the church, they come to church and they're looking for hope and and they feel better about themselves for coming. But then when you get to talking to them in those, those moments of one-on-one counseling or one-on-one conversations, you'll be surprised how, how many people have guilt in their life. You know, there's not a sin too great the the cross and resurrection of Christ cannot redeem. <laughs> Saul was a murderer. He redeemed him. He can redeem you. Nothing would thrill me more. Nothing would thrill Jim more. If you struggle with that, for us to sit down and talk and share with you that love, that precious love that God has sent His Son and your sin, that guilt that you have, that can be laid there at the foot of the cross and know that the completed work of Christ has wiped that away. That filth, that garbage, that baggage. Let's get rid of it. Let's throw it away. What a great hope to look up and see Jesus coming at you. What John must have saw there in the wilderness. Looking up and seeing Jesus. How excited he must have been. So today, when people look up, what do they see? Well, most people look up and they see bills coming their way and they see health problems coming their way. And they look up and they see a leaking roof and they see a broken down car and they see unemployment. That's what most people see. That's reality. We have that great hope, but I'm going to tell you something. When EPB calls me, they don't want to hear about great hope. They want my Bank of America account. That's what we see when we look up. Do you ever see these electric billboards on the highway? They talk about the uh, deaths, highway deaths. See those? Tennessee's put a lot of your money. <laughs> I put a lot of money into those billboards and a lot of money in the uh, click it or ticket, the buzz, if you're buzz driving, still DUI. Why do we do that? Why did the state of Tennessee put all those resources into that? Because we want it to lower highway deaths. We want it to lower DUI deaths, deaths caused by drunk drivers and bad driving. I'm going to give you a statistic that's going to blow your mind. blew my mind. More people died last year right here in the state of Tennessee. More people died of suicide Than died of DUIs. More people died of suicide than died of any automobile crashes. Right here in the state of Tennessee. It's been that way for several years. Now, you will not see a billboard talking about the suicide rate. But I'm going to tell you something, people. When people look up, they don't see Jesus, they see despair, they do not see hope. They see doom and gloom. And that's right here where we live. Now when I see a statistic like that, I know we're the light of the world, but it makes me wonder how bright we're shining. You know? Now I'm going to tell you something in closing. I don't want to keep you too long. I'll tell you like Britney Spears told her last boyfriend. I'm not going to keep you too long, just a little bit. You're the cream of the crop. <laughs> you right here. Y'all are the cream. Y'all are here at Sunday school. Y'all are here Sunday morning. Y'all come, most of y'all come Sunday nights. Y'all come Wednesday nights. Y'all the Sunday school teachers. You're the Iwana leaders. You're the ushers. Y'all the cream of the crop. Now I know that. Jim knows that. Pastor Gary knows that. Brother Darryl knows that. Brother Brian knows that. I know, we know, you're the cream of the crop. Now, I'm going to ask you something. Does your neighbor know you're the cream of the crop? Does your coworker know that you are the cream of the crop right here at Stewart Heights? That you have so received the hope and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has changed your life. Do they know that? They need to know that. Whether you know it or not, we are living in a dark world and you are the light of it. So I'll put this in closing this week. Let's help the people we encounter in our daily lives to look up and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin and the despair and the guilt and the shame that this world gives them takes it away and gives them and gives us a a hope of eternal life, an eternal hope that this world can't take away. Now that's a life worth living, even in the wilderness. So if you lean in there in your tables, you'll see a weekly update as we have every week. And please, if you will, mark your attendance. If you have a guest. And then, very important, this is probably one of the most important things. We do two important things in this Sunday school class. We read the Word of God. That's the most important. The second thing we do is we pray. Now, everything that I've just talked about, you might forget, probably. You should, probably, most of it. But I'm going to tell you, the Word of God, the flower fadeth, Right? But the Word of our Lord shall stand forever. The grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of the Lord stands forever. The prayer requests, we pray for one another. We, we believe in prayer. So if you have any prayer requests, and I have one I just thought of, and I'm going to write it on this sheet, if you'll just write that down, we will, as a class, pray for you this week. I have a co-worker who's having a medical problem. And I am going to ask for y'all to pray for him. And if you'll do the same, and if before you leave, if you'll pray. And then I believe, Jim, do we need to stack our chairs where they're at, correct? Stacks of seven. And then you are dismissed. Blessings to you in this week.